the Irish Times Inside Business podcast in association with EY, building a better working world. Hello and welcome to Inside Business with Kieran Hancock, a podcast from the Irish Times. This time of year is reporting season for listed companies and it's drawn up some interesting results for Irish PLCs. For example, CRH and Flutter have both signaled plans to move their main listings to the United States. So what will it mean for their stock market listings in Dublin and their headquarters operations in Ireland? The domestic banks are also reporting healthy profits and optimistic outlooks for future earnings. Bank of Ireland plans to award stock to its senior executives as part of their pay, bypassing an effective government ban on bonuses. How has it managed to do this and is it a manoeuvre that AIB could copy? And what should we expect from the ECB at its next meeting to set interest rates? Joe Brennan, Markets Correspondent of the Irish Times, and Aidan Donnelly, Head of Equities at Stockbroker Davy, joined me earlier to discuss these and other issues. I began by asking Aidan Donnelly to give us an overview of the state of play for global markets, which seemed to wobble on Tuesday as the Fed signals that yet more interest rate hikes are on the way. I think if you look generally, markets have had a very strong start to the year, all right? And the reason they've had a strong start to the year is at the margin, probably news flow has been a little bit better in terms of particularly the economic outlook. If you look at, uh, you know, going in, in on the three major blocks of Asia, where do they get good news? Well, you know, at the start of the year or just, just the tail end of last year, we would have seen the... Chinese rollback on their zero COVID. So that, that's a positive longer term for the, for the Chinese growth numbers to start picking up. I think in Europe, you look at it and you go, we, we, we've seen obviously a very mild winter. That means that the, the natural gas reserves are higher, natural gas prices come down. Um, and also then I think what, you know, at, at the margin, the, the 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 economic numbers are probably not as bad as people thought they were going to be. Like, if you went back to December, most people were pretty much predicting uh, the consensus view was you were going to see a fairly bad recession in Europe. Now, people are thinking Europe might get out of it. Now, my own feeling on that is, if you're only relying on the fact that it's been warm weather for for two months of 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 the winter, you still have another two months to go. And and the way it is outside right now, you know, it could easily tip the other way. And I think the other thing about Europe that's not necessarily getting priced in is, do we see a reaction out of Putin when those German tanks start rolling onto the front lines in the Ukraine? Again, the, the, the problem that we have in terms of the rally we've seen in the market is none of the downsides have been priced in at all, and, and all of the upside, or the good news, is priced in fully without any speed bumps coming in. And I think the final point when you look at the US is, coming back to your point about Jay Powell, is I think there is a battle to, to, to be had between the central bank and particularly the equity market, because I think bond market, short-term interest rate market and the, the foreign exchange market have all priced in that idea of higher rates and them staying higher for longer. I think the equity market is the one that probably hasn't priced that fully in. Like, if you if you went back to the end of the year, you know, the, the, the consensus view in terms of interest rates were in the US, we'd reach about 5% out, and around June and then suddenly we'd start coming down in the back half because economic growth would slow. Fast forward to now, and you're probably looking at interest rates peaking about, you know, five and a quarter, five and a half in kind of July, August time and staying that way for most of the back half of the year. So, as I said, the, the bond markets and the foreign exchange markets and even the short term interest rates have priced that in. 
but the equity market has been slow to price that Why? in. I, I just think that there is a kind of, that there's two things going on. I think one, there's a bit of a relief after last year that last year was over and they just want to listen, we want to draw a line under, in the sand and say thanks very much, that was over. But I, do, I think the other thing that's important is, and I think we've talked about this in the past, is that idea of the major shareholder, our major investor groups. So we still have this market in particular in the US, but also even more now, I think in Europe, being governed by the hedge funds. So what we've seen the hedge funds do at the start of this year has been from going from a you know kind of a neutral equity position to being max overweight. And what they were trying to do there was to try to coax money in off the sidelines from the other major group, which is the long-only guys. And we just haven't seen the long-only guys come in at all. But the, the, the hedges pushed it forward. An awful lot of shorts got stopped out, so it drove it a little bit higher. We got a little bit of retail money coming in a couple of weeks ago, but even that's petered off. So the big question, I think, now for, for the market is, if the long-only guys are staying on the sidelines, the, 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 the hedge funds won't want to be max long in this type of an environment without any catalysts coming. So we've seen it, I think, probably over the last two to three weeks where there's been a couple of wobbly days in the US. I think that's the hedge funds exiting some of those long positions. We haven't seen it in Europe. We haven't seen it in Japan. The hedge funds remain max long. But I think it's only a matter of time. And the problem is if they start to reduce their positioning, they're kind of selling into a market where there's no buyers because, again, the long-only people are staying on on, on, on the sideline um, uh, for that. So we could see a lot more volatility over the next couple of weeks, particularly, I think, in Europe where you would argue the economic outlook is probably not as uh, positive as it is in the US because domestic demand remains so poor in, in Europe. The exporters were helped last year because the currency was so weak, but we've seen a rollback from kind of sub-parity against the dollar to kind of 106, 107, 108 at the start of the year. We're back down at 106 right now. Um, so there isn't the same kind of uh, tailwinds for Europe that we would have seen last year. And I think that's where the big question is going to be, that if you get a belt of bad weather or you get some sort of negative sentiment because of uh, Ukraine. Europe is the one that probably does look more susceptible to something because when you look at the economic growth in, in, in the US, it's very much domestic orientated because you know, we saw in February, you know, retail sales numbers were the, the strongest in two years, right? You know, wages continue to, 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 to go up. The employment situation is very strong. The personal balance sheets are very strong in the US. So, on, on a kind of a look-through basis, the, the strength mm. is definitely there in the US. I'd say it's less so in Europe, but yet the US has underperformed Europe so sure. far this year. You know? Now, just explain for the benefit of listeners what exactly you mean by max long. Okay, right. So if you're a hedge fund, you can either be long or short the market. So you can either invest in the market or you can sell the market on the basis, sell out and be short the market. So basically sell stocks that you don't own on the basis that you think they're going to come down. So the hedge funds, what they're try they don't really don't care whether the market goes up or goes down. What they want to see is volatility because they can be both sides of the that, that, that equation. So when they go max long, basically what they're saying is we're going to invest our full position that we can be in, in the market. And they're, what they're hoping there is that by doing that, it sucks money into the market and that feeds in and, and drives the market higher and higher and higher. And um, but what has happened so far this year is that we haven't seen that money coming off the sidelines. They, what are traditionally known as the long-only investors, they're like your pension funds and mutual funds and things like that. They're still holding about 5 5.5% cash in their portfolio. So they're not playing the game. They're saying, no, no, we need to see some clarity about 
economic growth, about interest rates, about inflation before we want to commit the last bit of our money in, in into this market. So, you know, the the, the as I said, the, the, the hedge funds are are fully bought into this market. But they are flighty, so they could just as easy tomorrow go. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it, I always uh, they're a bit like we love it, we hate it, we love it, we hate it, and, and they don't care. As I said, they're, sure. they're not there for a long time; they're there for a good time. Is the way the hedge funds operate. Yeah. Hey, Joe, let's go local because we're in the middle of reporting season for listed companies at the moment, and this week very much about the banks. We had Bank of Ireland yesterday raising its uh, profitability target, although its profit number was down, and AIB coming out with some strong profit numbers this morning as well. Yeah, so I suppose um, just the, the the whole issue about uh, higher rates for longer, maybe the equity markets in general haven't kind of priced us in. Certainly one kind of small part of the equities market that is really benefiting from that is that of bank stocks and particularly Irish bank stocks because Irish banks have a higher uh, dependency on interest rates or interest income for their overall income uh, versus the kind of the, the European average. If you look at the Isaac Financials Index, which is basically the the three listed Irish banks, maybe with FBD as well, that's more than doubled in terms of of uh, value in the last uh, twelve months or so. And we've seen that kind of coming out in the figures. We're seeing reason for that doubling in, in, in the figures that come from the banks in the last few weeks. We permanent TSB coming out with a, a, a profit, has swung into a profit of about 267 million pre-tax profit from a loss of about 21 million last year. Now, part of that was, or a large part of that was down to a, a special gain of more than 200 million overall gain. And that was pushed up by basically buying Ulster Bank loans at a discount to their fair value. So it was an accounting gain. But permanent TSB is is really kind of guiding its own kind of returns on equity. And that's basically a key measure for banks, for profitability of banks. It just puts the uh, the performance or the profits of the banks against the, the, the equity invested by investors. Um, and while Permanent TSB, before it had the chance of taking on Ulster Bank, it was trudging along with a return somewhere around 2 or 3%. And in order for a bank to be seen by investors and seen by regulators as being a something that's a healthy bank or has a sustainable future, you're talking you need about 8 to 10% of return on equity to show that this is a healthy bank. So before Ulster Bank, uh, the Ulster Bank assets uh, were acquired by, by permanent GSB, there were massive questions about the kind of sustainability of, the, of the, the profits of that bank. And now it's talking post the uh, the acquisition of the, the Ulster Bank loans, which essentially kind of increases its balance sheet by, that goes to about 50%. And also the benefits from uh, rising interest rates. You're talking of medium term, thirteen percent return on equity for, for for a permanent TSP. That's what they're that's what they're guiding, and that that would have been unheard of, uh, wouldn't even been dreamt of a, a few years ago. And again, with AIB, it's had figures out this morning. Uh, it's seeing net profit jump by about eighteen percent to seven hundred sixty-five million, largely driven by increasing net interest income. Now, the banks have been slow to pass on the rate increases that we've seen. We've seen 300 basis points or, or three percentage points of increases from the ECB uh, since last July. The banks have kind of been reluctant or only passed on a, a portion of that to their mortgage holders. And, and at that, they're kind of been focusing on the, the, the new fixed rate. 
There's probably an element of the banks. Uh, first of all, I suppose the banks had among the higher rates in Europe anyway. So there was a bit of catch up by the European, uh, their European peers who moved more aggressively and who probably priced their their their, their mortgages more in line with with market rates because they're more reliant on market funding than Irish banks. The big kicker and the big kind of uh, driver of earnings so far for uh, for the Irish banks has been their massive deposit books. And Irish banks have uh, tens of billions of excess deposits built up over the last number of years. As people built up uh, more savings, COVID contributed to that. Also, uh, households have been more focused on savings and paying down loans than they have been on taking on credit. In, in the last number of years as well. So they're sitting on massive deposit books. And up until last July, those deposit books were basically costing the banks because the excess deposits placed with the ECB were attracting a negative rate of 0.5%. So they were having to pay the ECB essentially to hold those deposits on their behalf? Yes, so the excess deposits would be held technically with the actual Irish Central Bank, but actually at the ECB negative rate of 0.5%. So the ECB um, got rid of its negative rates policy in July of last year and has been increasing its deposit rate in line with its main lending rate. And its deposit rate has gone from minus 0.5 to plus 2.5. And automatically, those books have become massively profitable for the Irish banks and uh, basically subsidized because the banks have not been passing on uh, interest rate increases to their deposit holders at the same extent as the ECB has been increasing deposit rates. So they've essentially been kind of subsidizing the banks as they kind of more reluctant to kind of pass on interest rate increases to uh, to their mortgage holders. Yeah, so Joe, um, some customers are, are getting it on both sides, if you like, from uh, the banks. If they're coming off fixed uh, contract, if they're on trackers, if they're on a variable rate, if they're just about to take out a loan. They're paying higher rates than uh, they would have been, um, you know, just a few months ago. And on the other side of it, they're not getting uh, they're not getting much by way back in terms of deposits. Yeah, certainly. I think the the pressure is beginning to build, certainly on the deposit front. And look, banks would argue that they protected most of their customers for a long period of time when they were actually taking losses on their deposit books. Of course, they started increasing, uh, they increasingly kind of uh, lowered the threshold where the negative rate applied to depositors. And before the ECB kind of moved in the middle of last year, the main banks, AIB and Bank of Ireland, were, were charging, uh, had reduced the threshold to about 1 million. So even households lucky enough to have 1 million in their bank account, they were being charged towards the middle of last year, they were being charged uh, negative rates. But by and large, uh, deposit holders were, 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 were saved from the negative rates that were applying to the banks when, with their excess cash. So they would argue that, look, they protected uh, customers for long enough as well. Um, but I think increasingly, look, there's going to be more pressure uh, building up in the system for uh, for, for for the banks to to, to start kind of uh, properly remunerating uh, deposit holders. Um, so I say we, we see a lot of pressure uh, brought to bear over, over the coming months. In terms of um, interest rates, yeah, so most of the recent activity in interest has been a big kind of shift from variable rate would have been the tracker rate, obviously, would have been the big kind of product before the banking crash. After that, it was kind of more variable rates. And in more recent years, there's been a huge shift towards fixed rates. That's kind of protected customers uh, who have fixed rates at the moment to an extent. But you're talking, you know, rates most would be in the kind of like 
three to five month kind of uh, period in terms of uh, fixed rates. Uh, Long term uh, fixed rates haven't really been a factor of the Irish market until very recently. So that will obviously spill over in the coming years for the uh, mortgage holders as as they move off these fixed periods. Joe, some interesting news out of Bank of Ireland this morning in terms of a shared option scheme for senior executives. Tell us about that. Yeah, so it's, 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 it's clear it's not, a, it's not a, an option scheme. It's, it's basically a share. It's a fixed share award scheme. So back in, if you remember back in December, the government decided to ease restrictions when it came to uh, variable pay or bonuses across the banking sector. It allowed for bonuses to be paid for up to €20,000 a year which essentially is the limit before a legislative effective ban on bonuses kind of kicks in. That's kind of the leeway that the government actually had to move up to 20,000. After that, bonuses are subject to a prohibitive 89% levy, which is, I can't see the government, any government moving on anytime soon. But also with Bank of Ireland, Bank of Ireland had the state as of as of last September, had sold off its remaining shares in Bank of Ireland. So it decided when it was easing the overall uh, bonus restrictions across the board, it decided to scrap the existing 500,000 cap for, for, for Bank of Ireland and allowed for it to set its own fixed pay. So as bonuses kind of remain, a, a variable pay remains uh, banned across the board, we see that Bank of Ireland has moved uh, in its annual report, just uh, published uh, there yesterday, in terms of its uh, top two executives, is introducing a fixed share scheme, which essentially is share awards um, against uh, to top up their, their overall salary. Next year, they're not planning to introduce any kind of shares or award any shares next year, but the following year, um, the two top executives can achieve uh, 25% of their uh, salary by way, sorry, a top up to 25% by way of shares, uh, followed the following year by uh, 50%. And from there on in, 50% of salary would be way, way of uh, shares. And Joe, are there any performance metrics that have to be met before they get these shares? Yeah, so they're keen to highlight that this is not performance-related. This is fixed pay because, as you know, performance-related pay remains effectively banned across the sector. Could AIB do something like this, Joe? At the moment, AIB is still subject to the 500,000 cap. um, And the government has said uh, that it will review AIB's situation and that of permanent TSB when the state's shares fall below what it calls appropriate levels. It hasn't specified what those appropriate levels are, but there is a kind of a, a general expectation that those kinds of conversations will have to be had when the uh, state's stake in both kind of falls below the, the, the 50% level. The government continues to own around 55% of AIB, and there's an expectation that that could fall uh, below 50% in, 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 in the near term. So that will kind of trigger that kind of conversation. So certainly uh, the precedent set by uh, Bank of Ireland in this space uh, will probably be looked very closely by, by AIB and, and in time by uh, permanent TSB. Aidan, Irish banks have been on a roll, haven't they, in terms of their share prices over the last while. Uh, Is that because Ulster Bank and KPC are now effectively gone from the market and they're going to have a really strong position and, you know, lots of uh, cash to play with, as Joe mentioned, in terms of surplus deposits? To a certain extent, yes. But I think if you look at why the European bank sector has been very, very strong, for for the main reason, obviously, being that the interest rates have gone up. And I I think looking at that wider uh, landscape, I think there's a few things to bear in mind. 
typically when, when interest rates start to go up, the, the, the bank shares kind of in general have kind of two moves. The, the first move up tends to be driven by the fact that as interest rates go up, as we've seen, your, your net interest income goes up and your net interest margin goes up because you can, you can you, you, you know, it's quite slightly different in Ireland what we've seen in the last year or so. But in, typically, banks, as interest rates start going up, they start putting it up on the mortgage first and kind of lag uh, when they put it through in the deposits, right? And, and that's typically what happens. Um, and that drives the first kind of leg of share price performance that we would have seen over the last year across all the banks in Europe. Typically, though, in, in a normal interest rate cycle, the next leg of, of, of the rally in share prices come because the lending growth picks up, okay? And I think what's different this time I'm worth thinking about is normally if you think about why do interest rates go up, they normally go up because the economies are getting stronger and stronger and, and the central banks are worried about inflation picking up and, and they, they put up inflation or they put up interest rates. This time around, We've not we've seen inflation, but it's not because the economy has been the European economy is doing well. The European economy is not doing well. So the big question is going to be, you know, why 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 would you see a pickup in lending as we go through in the next year, two years, or three years for a lot of European banks? They won't be there because they, they, there is no grow economic growth. You know, the interest rates have gone up to fight inflation driven by higher energy and supply chain issues, nothing related to the economic growth. Um, and then I think the other risk that you've got in that broader kind of, of, of European landscape is interest rates have gone up, economic growth isn't there. Do we start seeing a large wave of bad debts now starting to spark in, in, in Europe because people can't afford to pay the rates that, that, that are going? So in, you know, in reality, people are kind of looking at this and I'm talking to investors all the time and that's probably the biggest concern now is not actually, you know, when you look at the strength in the share prices so far for the European banks, have we seen the best of it? Because actually there's no lending growth coming and if anything, the risk is that you're going to start seeing defaults on loans because people just are strapped for cash, you know, particularly in the two major blocks of France and Germany. Mind you, the Irish economy seems to be immune to all these trends because yeah. economic growth here has been so strong, even amidst all of these pressures that you've mentioned. Yeah, and absolutely the economic growth remains. But 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 what we've got to see is, is that economic growth going to transfer into lending growth? That's that's the key. And, you know, as Joe said, you know, much of the last year, the banks haven't been leveraging up their balance sheet at all because they've been parking the money with 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 uh, the central bank and, and and not been leveraging that at all so the the big question is you know a lot of the growth in in um in 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 the Irish economy has been been fueled by the the kind of foreign direct investment the multinational sector and all of that not the domestic SME market um and the domestic SME market are the ones that borrow from from your domestic banks so that's going to be the big question as we, I think as we go through this year do we start to see across all of Europe lending start to pick up and and if it doesn't the flip side is do we start seeing bad debts deteriorate at EY, our purpose is to build a better working world. As one of Ireland's leading professional services firms, our exceptional people are at the centre of everything we do. We deploy technology at speed and innovation at scale to deliver exceptional solutions for our clients, enabling them to transform and grow. To find out more, visit ey.com.
Joe, I mentioned we're in the middle of uh, reporting season for listed companies. Last week, we had some stellar results for CRH, but it also made an interesting announcement in that it's going to seek shareholder approval to move its main listing to the United States. At the moment, it's a FTSE 100 company. It has a secondary listing in Dublin. Flutter has made a similar announcement that it's going to, it's looking at the potential for listing in the US. Columbia said that it's going to begin reporting in dollars. So maybe that's a precursor um, to them taking a listing in the US. We saw Total Produce uh, do it a couple of years ago with that Dole deal. And so the the centre of influence, if you like, seems to be shifting across the Atlantic. Yeah, um, I suppose, look, at none of the three companies that are actually now moving to, looking to move uh, listings to the US have really kind of been too perturbed by the Dole effect. Uh, Total Produce, back in 2021, merged with uh, Dole Foods to establish Dole PLC, and it listed in New York, and the new company or the enlarged company scrapped its... Um, it's listing in Dublin. Uh, and since then, that stock has uh, come back sharply. Uh, that hasn't deterred uh, CRH, certainly, and Flutter. I suppose CRH, there had been kind of mutterings a, a number of years ago. It certainly had been some pressure from some shareholders and some from some uh, investment banks for CRH to look at at least um, uh, listing uh, or partially listing its, um, its US unit. And the benefit there would have been that uh, typically uh, US listed companies uh, tend to trade at a premium relative to earnings to European companies. But actually now uh, CRH last week has decided, uh, come out and decided that it's looking to move its primary listing uh, to the US, not just the overall group, not just the US part of, of the company. And I suppose the kind of the stepping stones had been kind of set a few years ago, back to two, three years ago, uh, the company started reporting in dollars. North America has increasingly been the, the, the more important part of the overall group. Three quarters of, of earnings last year were generated in, in, in North America. So the, the, that's the kind of the, the rationale behind that. Um, Flutter, a number of years ago in 2018, uh, it, made, uh, it made inroads, uh, it struck deals to get into the, the US market after the US Supreme Court um, struck down legislation or rules that had uh, basically barred um, barred uh, sports betting across the, the US and uh, Fa- FanDuel, which is the company that uh, that uh, Flutter uh, took a stake in, initial stake in in, in, in 2018 and built up to about 95% uh, since then. It has been going gangbusters as sports betting is being rolled out from one stake to the next. So about a third of its overall earnings are generated in the States uh, at the moment. But look, if you're seeing a lot of uh, why maybe supervision or legislation is, is decreasing in the States temporarily, we're seeing a lot of increased legislation and regulatory burden uh, on Flutter on its kind of historic UK and Irish and Australian uh, markets. So the, 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 the real kind of growth area is in, in the US for the foreseeable future. At the moment, Flutter is just looking to set up a listing. It's not talking about its primary listing, but it only really makes sense for them, like for Fursy CRH, in actually moving ultimately the, the, the primary listing there, because that will allow both companies to be eligible for inclusion in the all-important and influential major US uh, stock market indices. And these are tra- followed by uh, institutional investors who basically buy shares in line with the index. So there'll be fourth buyers of these shares if and when they join uh, various US stock market indices. 
Aidan, as head of equities at Davy, are you hoping these companies at least keep a secondary listing in Dublin? Is that important for your business? And do you expect them to remain tax resident and headquartered here? Yes, certainly all indications from the companies are, are that they're going to maintain a secondary listing. Either in CRH case, either here or London, they have to they have to decide where the secondary listing is. They, you know, even when they move to to London, they maintain the secondary listing in 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 Ireland. And certainly, as I said, all indications are that there's definitely going to be a secondary listing. Um, hopefully, it's going to be re- remain on 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 Euronext. Um, and look, ultimately, the, the the same for Flutter. And I think you know the 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 the, the rationale. Different companies are going to have different rationales for doing it um, and and time will tell whether that rationale uh, uh, plays out. Certainly CRHs are, CRHs are saying, look, the reason we're doing it is that we're missing out in business in the US because, you know, the, the, the government aren't going to give us contracts because we're not seen as a US company. You know, do, does the fact that you have, you, know, you have a listing in New York make you a US company in the eyes of the US government? Who knows? And, and as I said, time is going to tell on, on, on that one. Um, the point that Joe made about you know the the, the higher valuation, um, I, th- I think it, 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 in some cases it has proven. But actually, if you look at and you know in certain sectors, uh, when, when you do a comparison, a direct comparison between you know a European listed company and the, and their US peers, actually the European companies are are listed are, are trading at a much higher multi. Um, than their US counterparts, so it doesn't necessarily always follow that 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 you're going to see a, a, a bump in the valuation. And I think too, you know, the the the, the other thing for an, all, an awful lot of these these companies is um, there's going to be a huge. Uh, edu- investor education program going to take many many years, you know, for 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 U.S. investment managers to get comfortable with these stories. You know, it's not to say that there hasn't been U.S. shareholders in these any of these companies um, in the past. Of course, there has been, but they would have tended to be maybe a European portfolio manager, European equity portfolio manager working for a U.S. house as opposed to a U.S. manager working for a U.S. house. So there's going to be that um, that that um, uh, education that's going to need need a time. So all of these things take time ultimately. So, you know, it's not necessarily that it's a, a magic wand that you wave, you know. It's a blow to the prestige of the FTSE 100 though, isn't it? When big companies like CRH decide to take their main, or want to take their main list into the US, we'll have to see how shareholders ultimately uh, how they react? Yeah, I, I, do you know it's funny? I I I think what a lot of people are looking at you know is is this a Brexit thing and things like that. And actually, I, you know, I, I I think the listing is less of an issue. I I think what's more interesting is when you see um, the likes of uh, if you remember a couple of weeks ago, AstraZeneca announced that they were they weren't going to do a three hundred million uh, investment in the UK. They were going to move it here, and the reason they cited was you know higher corporation taxes and other taxes in the UK and access and things like that. I think ultimately when you look at the, the 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 UK that becomes that's a much bigger risk I think than than where somebody uh, moved like we've already seen um, movements because if you think the the, the massive um, mining entity BHP Billiton moved back and, and changed its primary uh, uh, listing to back to Australia from London before Christmas there's always the question about things like um, you know uh, Shell because they've dual listing Amsterdam and, and, and London that's always going to be the case I think for a, for a lot of companies and what you've got to bear in mind too is when you look down that FTSE 100 list, there is an awful lot of those companies um, already with big ADR programs in the US and things like that. And they might say, well, we don't need it, you know. But I, I think the other thing to bear in mind for a lot of these companies as, as, as they think about potentially making that move to, to US is 
there's much more onerous reporting uh, requirements in the US, not not in terms of accounting standards per se, but much more about, you know, as you, as you look at it now, you know, if you're an Irish company, you have to report twice a year, your semi-annual and your full year numbers. You move to the state, you've got to go quarterly numbers and you've got to do that every year and you're going to have, you know, the, the investor relations machine to switch now to a quarterly set of numbers and things like that. And you've got to get an awful lot of uh, of analysts who cover US stocks that have maybe never ever covered the, in, you know the name before you got to get them up to to up to speed on the thing so you know there is an awful lot it, it's not just a simple decision i think for a lot of these companies um and even in the UK i think that it, it's going to be the same um you know when when companies potentially think of moving off the exchange you know they've the same issues to 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 and and potentially if they're if they're holding you know two registers of, of shares, they've got two regulatory environments to work with, you know, with both the SEC and, and, and the FCA in the UK or the SEC and, and, and the European authorities, if, if it's doing so. It's, it's, it's not a decision that any of these companies will take lightly. Do you expect Glambia to go the same route, take a main listing in the US? Ultimately, they could do. They have a big US business, but, um, you know, they, they probably have the, the whole issue with the, the, the large, if you will, retail slash farmer shareholder base that they've got here in, in, in Ireland. And, and how, do you, how do you manage that? So it's not a, probably not as straightforward for them in just going, OK, well, we're going, going, going to have it, you know. I suppose the fact that they're reporting to the US in, in, you're going to switch to reporting to US dollars might signify that there's something down the line, but I, I can't see it necessarily being in the in the very near term. From an equities point of view, Aidan, is there any point to the Euro next Dublin market at this point? Because we, we you know, about a decade ago we saw Greencorn, DCC and Grafton, CRH. Uh, well they went uh, just to London, CRH took its primary listing in London, a secondary uh, in Dublin. Joe mentioned total produce. We're now seeing CRH and Flutter. Uh, looking at the US, maybe Glambia will will follow, etc. We've seen a lot of companies come off the market, uh, the two REITs, Green and Hibernia, Apple Green and so forth, and Tullow and Aritza just got rid of their Dublin listings. So, I mean, the market really has shrunk and we haven't seen uh, very many IPOs uh, in the last few years, so is is the Dublin is there still going to be a Dublin stock market? Do you think in fifteen years? Let's say, uh, look, I I I think there's always these difficult times that that markets go through when you when you have seen that. I think ultimately the big question around it is, you know, does does the market does the Dublin market have to change in terms of the type of companies that it attracts on on and 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 bolster the numbers that way? You could always argue. You've always been the case that that you could argue. You know, when people talked about the ISIC and things like that, it is kind of an irrelevant index anyway because of the sheer concentration as it exists right now in terms of the big names. It's not, you know, it's a, it's, it's a, a market of stocks rather than a stock market. And, and I think for a lot of the US, for a lot of the Irish companies, they've always had in mind, well, they see themselves as part of the much wider, be it, the, the, you know, the Euro stocks or, 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 or the stock 600 or things like that. And that's ultimately where they kind of think of themselves in terms of their peer group. It's not about just being an Irish stock or things like that. They much more think about it in the context of a wider Europe. So I think for a lot of the companies, that you know that mindset is long gone about. Oh, we're listed on, on Ireland and we're only interested in our eyes at quote or things like that. So I, I I think you know from from the market's perspective, you know we've obviously seen the the the, the Irish stock exchange become part of Euronex over the last couple of years. That kind of tells you that even their mindset is moving to a broader European thing. And look, we're seeing it in every index, and you know in every small country they 
we've gone through exactly the same thing whereby names have come off or there's much more of a focus on considering them a European stock as opposed to an Irish or a Portuguese or a, or, or a you know, you know in, even in some cases, some of the Swedish stocks and Danish stocks have been the same. Yeah, okay. Uh, finally, Aidan, uh, last word to you. What are you expecting from the next ECB rate setting meeting? What kind of increase do you expect? Oh, I, I think we're nailed on for 50 basis points. They made, made they, 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 that very clear in the last one. I think what's going to be interesting for them is at the, at, at the last meeting, they said, look, we're going to give you, we're going to tell you in terms of guidance that the next one is 50, but then we're not giving you any more guidance because there's always been this kind of, of, of conflict in, within the ECB about wanting to be seen to respond to data as it comes out which you know if you if you want to do that's fine but you can't be given a month before telling people we're going to do x y and z for the next four months in terms of in interest rates so i think i think ultimately um in in both the us and and in europe it's going to now be very much data dependent and i think the idea of of, of telling people we're going to give you very clear forward guidance uh, is probably gone and i think as i said we're going to see 50 and you know if if, if inflation doesn't start coming down um, you know, you're probably going to see further rates, but further rate increases both in, in, in Europe and in the US. But I, I, I would counter that for the, going back to the discussion we had about the ECB earlier on. The problem that they've got is they're using a policy tool that doesn't have any implication on the inflation, the t factors that are driving inflation. So you jack up interest rates, it doesn't change the price of natural gas or uh, energy. You jack up interest rates, it doesn't impact the, the, the supply chain issues that you've got. So you're kind of trying to use, you know, a, 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 a tool in your toolkit that really isn't fit for purpose, right? But it's the only one that they've got. So they've got to kind of keep on doing that. But I think at the back of their mind, they, they will be wary on both sides of the Atlantic as, as a central bank that, they're not quite sure, I think, what the transmission mechanism is now between open interest rates and seeing economic growth slow down, you know. In the past, you would have had a belief that, you know, typically six to nine months after the first interest rate rise, you start seeing an impact. Interest rates are going up about a year ago and you're not seeing that. And I think the both central banks are worried that, you know, is there a risk that, there's a sudden hit that it almost hits a wall that, that you, you know, it's a bit like the concertina. It's delayed, 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 delayed. And then suddenly, bang, it, it, you know, the, the, the impact of higher rates come very, very quickly. And I, and I think they'll be cognizant of that. So they certainly won't, from the ECB's perspective, won't want to be laying out a situation where, oh, well, we're going to do 50 basis points a month for the next three or four months. I think we'll see the 50 basis points this month. Um, and then they'll probably countenance their arguments by saying, look, everything is data dependent more than likely we're going higher but it's data dependent and we just have to wait and see Okay Aidan Donnelly and Joe Brennan thank you for joining us Okay that's it for this week from Inside Business my thanks to Aidan Donnelly and Joe Brennan for joining me on the show Declan Conlon produced the programme with JJ Vernon on sound thanks also to our sponsor EY for its continued support remember as a subscriber to the Irish Times you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our business today email at irishtimes.com and you can also follow the Irish Times business feed on Twitter, LinkedIn and Facebook each day I'm Kieran Hancock until next time take care